Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior, our gracious Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Our text today, I'm going to add these words from the epistle lesson, which is taken from 1 John chapter 4. We read, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Here ends our text. My little grandson named Max, just a few months old, got his first lesson in babysitting on Friday night while we were having our pizza dinner. He, uh, he was brought into the babysitter and immediately came to recognize that he was separated from his mother. And so with great cries and all kinds of supplications and prayers, he demanded that he be brought back and reunited with his mom. There's something about a child and the way a child behaves that might tell us a little something about ourselves. That is to say that from the fall of Adam and Eve into sin, the entirety of humanity has been separated from God. And in this separation, there are all kinds of terrible things that have happened, but in this separation, there's a need for reunification and for that peace that comes as a child would find peace in the arms of his or her mother. When the Apostle John writes this epistle, he has something in mind. There actually was a man named Serinthus, who at that time, about a hundred years after Christ, Serinthus was bringing Greek philosophy, Platonic philosophy, into the Christian church because this is the way in which they thought back in those days. And he was bringing the way that the world was thinking to Christianity. Now, what that was, was that the Greeks thought that there was this supreme God up there, a God who was completely detached from the world altogether, that the world had been created by this thing called the Demiurge, which is kind of personified perhaps as, as angels who made this fallen and corrupt world, but who themselves even had no knowledge or intimacy with that separated and supreme God that was up there. This caused, you can well imagine, a number of things to happen in the lives of the people with this view. And we think today maybe that, that this would be so different because they would be believing in angels and demiurges and all those kinds of things. But it's really not much different from the way in which people in the world think today. That is to say that God is still just up there that God is still far away, that God is unapproachable, that God is unknowable. 
And that what we have down here is we have material things that can evolve on their own, material things that are ruled by laws of nature, that this world here operates in a way which is completely different and separated from that God, that supreme God that is far away. So both in John's day and also in our day, the effects are still the same. What it means is that there's a kind of a hopelessness. That hopelessness that says there's no way of ever being able to connect or to know who that supreme God is. In our last trip over to Germany, a group of our people were at, we were at a very nice hotel and there was this elevator and everybody was anxious to get up to their floors with all their luggage and they packed themselves and that luggage inside of that elevator and I'm sure that what they did is they surpassed the weight limit of the elevator and the doors closed and they never went anywhere and the doors refused to open. It was a matter of about 30 seconds and all those people were absolutely panicked inside of that elevator. That claustrophobia just got to them. I think they all thought they were going to die. And that's kind of what the world is like when it has no hope. That hopelessness that settles in, that ends up making this world into a place that cannot change, that cannot connect with this God and Father who is up there. And of course, Serenthus believed, therefore, that if there was no connection, that this Jesus was nothing but a man. That he believed that supposedly some sort of spirit or word kind of came down upon him, that as baptism adopted him, and it stayed with him and kind of inspired him to say really profound things, maybe even do profound things. But then when he came to the cross, that spirit left him, and he really just died as a man. There was no redemption. There was no conquest of the devil. There was no opening up the doors of heaven. Just like all those people in that elevator, that's in their minds who we were. If it leads, if it starts off with that kind of hopelessness, it ultimately ends in something that we would call despair. When Jake, my son and I had traveled out to Siberia, they brought us by this place that had been at one time a German concentration camp because after the war, the Russians took many of those German soldiers, sometimes even for four or five years, and brought them out to Siberia and put them into these camps. Now when people are enslaved like that, there's only one thing that they think about is they think about themselves and their own personal survival. That too was the attitude of the world. If they were having no other hope, if they were simply enslaved even by their own sinful natures, if even the law was there stirring up their sins, there was nothing that they could do about it. And what happens is that it turns inward and all we think about is ourselves. And along with that comes what? All you have to do is turn on the TV or read a paper today and what you find is that the world is driven not by the spirit of love but by the spirit of hatred. What you do is you, 
you look at everybody's failings, everybody's sins, everybody's problems, everything that everybody has failed to do, and the only way you can motivate people in this sinful world is to motivate them to a spirit of hatred. And that hatred becomes self-fulfilling because the more that you hate, the more that others become hateable, and they turn around and they give it right back to you. We are living, I think, probably in one of the worst times for hatred. All you have to do is think of it in terms of politics. And it's hatred all over the place. This is a world that is in hopelessness and despair and all that can motivate it is hatred. And in the end, the thing that nobody really wants to talk about is that thing called fear, which we describe as the fear of death. In the book of Hebrews, he writes about how it is that the devil holds the world in bondage because of their fear of death. And because of the fear of death, reality has to be changed because we cannot come face to face with what that fear means. A number of years ago, one of our heritage tours went to the city of Weimar in Germany. Up there on the hill overlooking Weimar was a place called Buchenwald where they took all these Jewish bodies and they brought them up there, not just imprisoned them, but also burned them up in gas chambers. The people of Weimar, they didn't know what had happened up there. They didn't know that people were being killed after the war, the Americans came through and they made them walk all the way through that camp to see what it is that had been taking place, even though the ashes had filtered down upon them for years during the war. We even had somebody in our group that didn't want to believe that the Holocaust had ever taken place, and he refused to go up to Buchenwald because he didn't want to see it. That's the world. The world is dying. The world is going to have to face judgment, and the world does not want to face it and deal with the realities of what that judgment is going to be like. This is why it is that John's gospel, the gospel of our Lord, became such a radical, destroying power. Because what John's confession was, was that Jesus Christ came in the flesh. We hear those words already from his gospel. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And by the time he gets to verse 14, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. That supreme God had now broken through and sent his own Son, the very God-in-the-flesh Son, who took that flesh not just here and there and abandoned it, but took that flesh and brought it through death and brought it back through life again. And if that God, who is the supreme God, wanted to make himself known, he did so in this personage of the Son. Jesus said, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. And now we know from Christ what God the Father thinks, what God the Father believes, what God the Father wants, and what God the Father did. 
The words are familiar to us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him might not perish but have everlasting life. He was breaking in in that person of Christ. And where there was hopelessness, he brought its antidote. He brought the hope of everlasting life. Like for those people in that elevator, when that door opened up, it was wonderful. And they staggered out with joy in their hearts that they were not going to be locked in there forever. For us, this Christ has entered into our world and he has opened up the doors of heaven and we have a hope that goes beyond this creation. John writes in 1 John, See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world did not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now that we are children of God, now that we are children of God and what we will be has not yet been made known, but we know that when Christ appears, we will be like him, for we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. That word purity of course, also applies because now, whereas the world is in that concentration camp living its world for itself with its own sins, unable to remove them, unable to cleanse their conscience, what did he come to do? He came for the purpose of literally cleansing our hearts and our minds and our consciences and forgiving us for what we have done in order that we might live our lives not for ourselves, but for others. The prison has been destroyed, and we are free. John writes, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and purify us from unrighteousness. My dear children, he says, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. That word advocate is a lawyer. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. That supreme God has broken into our creation and he, his son, has died for the sins of all humanity for all time. Which also means for you and me. So take that hopelessness and take that despair away. Jesus is the one who has entered into our flesh and taken away our sins. Now, what does that allow us to do? Instead of now living by that hatred, it is now possible for us to be able to live by something that John calls love. We can now become servants of one another and live in peace with our brothers and sisters and that love and that forgiveness enables us to be able to do the same, to love and to forgive those who are around us. 
John writes, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, and just love this passage. This is one of my favorite passages in the whole Bible. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. And what does that do for us? In contrast to a world that has no hope, in contrast to a world that lives only by hatred, and a world that lives only for self, and a world that lives in fear, we can live our lives in confidence today. Confidence. John writes, Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of the judgment. In this world we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. So I ask the question, can a little child teach us anything about our Lord and Savior. Our God has not forgotten us. That supreme God is the one who sent his Son who said to us, let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you that as it is, I go to prepare a place for you that where I am, you may be also. This is the one who has opened up the door and we no longer need to be able to be afraid of judgment or death or condemnation. But we need only look forward to that day when we are going to enter into a new creation. When that little kid, that little boy, was brought back to his mother. <gasps> It says in the last chapters of Revelation, John writes, and he will wipe away every tear from our eyes. The good, wonderful news that God has sent his Son into this world, into our flesh to be our Savior. And in him there is life and love. Amen. May the peace of God that surpasses all human understanding guard and keep your thoughts in your minds through faith in Christ Jesus unto life everlasting. Amen.